This is Camp Code, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. Camp Code is dedicated to helping you create and facilitate the most effective leadership training so we as an industry can raise the bar for professionalism and preparedness of our staff. You can find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and directors at camphacker.tv. Welcome to Camp Code, a podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. We've created and are dedicated to this podcast because we believe that staff training is one of, if not the most important part of your job as a camp director. Staff training is what prepares your staff to care for their kids, to feel confident in their skills, to do their jobs to the best of their ability, and to learn along the way. A well thought out and intentional staff training will help you in more ways than you can imagine. And we need to help each other bring our very best. So we're going to start today the way we always do by introducing ourselves. Ruby. I'm Ruby Compton. I'm the Chief Exploration Officer for Ruby Outdoors, which means I am self-employed. I do, I run a consulting company uh, that supports and trains and plays alongside with camp directors and camp staff throughout the summer and the year. Thanks, Ruby. And Gabs. Uh, my name is Gabrielle Real, and I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Waro. And Camp Waro is an all-girls camp situated in the Laurentian Mountains in Quebec, Canada. And we focus on creating a positive female uh, community. And we do that while speaking English and in French. And I'm Beth Allison. I'm co-owner of Camp Hacker and Go Camp Pro. And for 15 years, I worked as a camp director and an executive director in Ontario, Canada, and am now a consultant for camping. And my passion, of course, is intentional leadership training and building solid and supportive community in your camp staff. And our topic for today's podcast is the indoor generation. And Ruby is going to tell us why we decided to talk about this most important thing. Well, the past few episodes, if you've been listening to the ones we've released recently, uh, have talked a lot about kind of the adjustment to camp and the world that our staff are coming from to come be at camp. And more and more, we are seeing that this generation is an indoor generation and that there are some specific things that we need to do, especially if we are running programming where we're expecting our staff to spend a lot of time outside or even some time outside and to seem somewhat comfortable, uh, that there's some specific things we need to be doing to help get them acclimated and ready to do that. Absolutely. And over the past few decades, children's relationships with the great outdoors and nature has changed dramatically. Um, as a matter of fact, since the 1990s, re researchers have noticed a shift in how children spend their free time. None of this is new to any of you folks listening. Uh, the days of that free-range childhood where kids spend hours outside playing in, in local parks or building forts or fording streams and climbing trees have been mostly replaced by video games, television watching, or organized activities such as sports or clubs. And we've traded this green time for screen time. And it really has had an impact on kids' well-being and their development. The approach to raising kids has changed a lot as well. And there are many parents who, um, who allowed kids to play largely unsupervised from dawn to the dinner bell, which was my uh, childhood. They have sort of moved into parents who are afraid to allow their children to roam free because of those perceived safety concerns. And I was looking something up the other day, and 
this, the statistics were astounding to me, but according to the Environmental Protection Agency, the average American, and they didn't have Canadian stats on this, but the average American spends 93% of their life inside. 80, 87% inside and another 6% in their automobiles. So that is only 7% of their life outdoors. So it's not only sad, but it also makes life a lot more difficult when we're talking about training staff members to spend a whole lot more time outside for an entire summer. So Ruby, we're going to start with you. Um, what have you noticed and how? what ideas do you have to help our staff during training to really embrace the outdoors and feel comfortable? Totally. So I most recently um, was working a program that we were, we had fifth graders, we had them out at a state park and um, they're they having a shelter building activity. And while that was going on, we noticed a lot of hesitancy from the kids to like go off the trail and to touch the nature, right? And unfortunately, as an environmental educator, I know that there has been some amount of environmental education that's like, look, don't touch, right? It's okay to look at things, but don't touch it because you're going to hurt it. And so the, there's a lot of power in letting kids go out and like destroy nature and build trails or get rid of invasive species, things like that. So that's, that's a, a real like very quick specific thing you can do if you have a trail that needs to be built or you have a, an area, a creek bed that needs to be cleaned out. See if you can incorporate that into your staff training um, and, and give them a chance to like touch and feel and have that experience. So then they'll be a little more comfortable when they're like touching nature with the kiddos. But I'm on this program and we discovered that the kids were super, not all of them, but several of them were really uncomfortable with the ants that were around them. And we're talking like the big black ants, not ones that are going to hurt you, not fire ants, not big mounds of them, but just kind of the normal ants that I, I grew up seeing all the time just on the driveway or whatever. And there was this real moment of clarity of like, wow, if they are so uncomfortable with these creepy crawlies that they see and they see them as so dangerous or so foreign, uh, then we can't do any learning until they're more comfortable with what's around them. Um, and so I think that it's important that we create some space and time in our staff training for staff to just spend some time in the environment around them. And that can be in a very urban setting or you know, a wilderness setting, whatever it might be, but to get, just to give them some time and space to explore. And whether that's a scavenger hunt or they are assigned to make a drawing or a map of the, the nature spaces that you have around your campus, um, whatever it might be, but to just force them to go sit and look observe, interact with a little bit. I think about the hours that I spent growing up rescuing caterpillars from the driveway and like so they wouldn't get smushed by the car and moving them. And I was touching them and picking up sticks and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't think that that is as common an activity these days. And so can we create some time and space for our staff to do that? Now, I also know that sometimes if we take staff out and we're like, all right, go play in nature, they don't know what to do because you talked about that free play is, is much less. So an activity that I have had a lot of success with is an activity called Ninja Training Ground. And so I'll take the staff out. And the first time I did this was, was with a group of camp staff. And I was so surprised how into it they were. We went out into this nature, natural area and I said, check it out, y'all. There are ninjas that protect this forest. And, you know, they're like, suspension of disbelief is kind of my, you know, small at this point, but I was like, just go with me on this, okay? And I was like, we have discovered that the ninjas, 
they're getting a little sloppy, right? And they, they just seem to be a little bit out of shape. So we need to create and build some ninja training grounds here in these woods. And we're gonna do this and they are watching. They're always watching. They're taking care of this forest, but they're just not doing their job very well and we need to strengthen them up a little bit. So, you know, is it balance beams? Is, it, is there something they need to fight? Do they need to be able to run? Is it agility? Think about what it is they might need. And oh yeah, the ninjas are very tiny. <laughs> and so you wanna scale this down. And you can use any natural objects that are around here, go, right? And so in the end, it's not about what they create. It is about the, the fact that they're getting dirt under their fingernails, that they're learning to explore and look under leaves and pick up rocks and move them around, learn how to manipulate the environment. And again, that it's okay to like touch this stuff and move stuff around and you might break something and, and that's okay. <laughs> um, there are responsible ways to do that, of course, as well, but it provides that entree into having that conversation versus just don't touch that, right? Um, and then we'd have everybody kind of go around to the different sites and see what people had created. And the creativity that I've seen come out of this is also remarkable. And to let our staff be childlike and play for a little while typically has wonderful results, not only in their nature connection, but also in their facilitation going forward. I love it. That is so fun. I want to go back to camp just to do that. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> um, thanks, Ruby. Gab, what have you got? I think... Um the what keeps coming back up is is the free play aspect and and how our staff are more and more comfortable in structure so when you're approaching trying to educate your staff try try not to think of it as i need my staff to learn how to free play in nature try to separate it um, into two categories don't create that com combo pack right away and i like to look at it in three categories knowledge play and do so knowledge in the form of education. So if you can bring in somebody that can talk about nature, go on a nature walk, explain, explain what's around them, get them to taste berries, or if you have a certified forager um, for mushrooms or et cetera, et cetera. We, we we're very, very lucky to have an alumni that is certified, that loves nature. Um, we always end the walk with a, with a tea and lots of, you know, from what they gather from the woods and um, nice little conversation and our staff love it. But it just, the knowledge takes away the fear and especially for our international staff members, you know, just even coming from England, Canada is such a different um, space. And I'm somebody that grew up in the country. And when I went to South Africa to be a camp counselor in Camp Sizanani, um, I remember being told, you know, we can, these are the boundaries, don't go past these trees because of the snakes. And I'm not totally afraid of snakes. I don't love them, but I'm not. But I, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, the largest possible snake. You know, I'm not educated, so I don't know what kind of snake they, they were um, out there. So my imagination ran wild. And that's what I had my information um, based off of. So our, our international staff members, um, you know, there's a lack of knowledge and anxiety is built. And so just educating them. By the way, the snakes in South Africa were very big. So my imagination was right. And it was good not to go into the woods. Um, <laughs> very nerve wracking, very nerve wracking. Um, so I was like, children, nope, 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 come this way. Um, so knowledge is really helpful. Um, and it's, and it, and it just, it just allows you to understand where you're allowed to go, what you can do and um, gives you, gives you confidence and then play um, with nature, I'd like to do a structured type place. So having, having something that it like, like Ruby had mentioned a scavenger hunt or, 
um, you know, or uh, even even art uh, going in and, and painting or drawing, um, paying attention to nature, but something that's structured within nature doesn't create that sort of anxiety. And then do would be probably a lot of camps that are sleepaway camps um, do overnights. So giving them that task to do those things. And then with the free play piece, I try to bring in free play aspects such as bringing in a bunch of props and saying, create a game with this. And then um, that would just be in a normal field. And then later on, we would go into the woods and I would say, all right, now we have the woods. What would you do with kids in here? You have, you have 30 minutes. What would you do? And, um, and, and have them work in teams. So I try to sort of break it up. So knowledge play and do something, and then you can combine the, the, the combo pack of free play and nature, which is the optimal, optimal place because nature does elicit such creativity. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, and that's the sort of magic of it. It, it really, allows, there's endless possibilities. I love the framework, Gab, that's brilliant. Um, and a great way for us to sort of break it down. So I think what you've been hearing so far is that we all agree that we need to treat this growing phenomenon as an opportunity to teach our staff about the amazing benefits of spending time outside. And for a generation of kids who grew up living more indoors, they just haven't had the chance, many of them, not all of them, um, to find the joy in it, to find the awe in it, to, to lie on the driveway and pick up caterpillars, as Ruby was saying, and to understand all the benefits. So um, I'm just going to give you a few ideas uh, more uh, to help them figure out how to discover it. So um, I would say if you can get them to spend time outdoors every day, during training, just a little bit of time, whatever it is, doing maybe absolutely nothing. So each day do something for the sake of being outside. So together, uh, you know, go on a hike or a night hike or look at the stars and do a lesson on the constellations or ask them to, sh to maybe take short individual walks on their own um, and stop every two minutes and then have them sit and quietly figure out in that moment what their five senses are experiencing and get them to journal about it. So they can either write or draw, um, what do I smell, what do I see, what can I taste, all those kinds of things. And then get them to get up, take another two minute walk and sit and do it all over again. So three times, five times, whatever works for you. And then I think the second important piece of that would be to gather everybody together and debrief it. Um, to see what everybody was feeling and what people were noticing and what they heard. Because often at camp, especially on a busy day, you just walk down a path and you miss everything. So having those opportunities to be really present in the moment. Do things like take advantage of the rain. So not a thunderstorm, of course, but if it's raining at camp during training, you know, drop everything and run outside and jump in the puddles and play in the rain. Uh, I did an activity a number of years ago where I gave each of my staff 40 inches of strength. And I asked them to go out into the property, which is 200 acres. Um, you could do it in the woods, you could do it in the city, wherever there's greenery, um, and ask them to go find a, a, a place that they can block off a 10 by 10 by 10 by 10 inch square. And then ask them to just sit there quietly, lie down and watch it for 15 minutes and report back. And when we did it, it was amazing what my staff found. They were watching caterpillars or butterflies or beetles or worms or sunbeams or dewdrops, whatever it was. And we also then had that go into a discussion about um, the idea of a child's world also being small. 
and what we need to stop and notice when we're with them so that we don't miss anything. A uh, couple of other ideas to get them out and get them excited would be to like create a nature bingo game. Uh, let them go together as a group to find certain things around your camp or around the property where you're working and have them take photos as a group. And of course, debrief that experience later in the day or the next day and their feelings about it with a slideshow of everybody's pictures. Create a camp garden and literally get their hands dirty in the soil, water the plants, eat the food that you grow. A real sense of pride, of course, to eat what you planted, but also a great way to literally get your hands dirty. Um, I think spending time every day of training, getting them close to the earth um, and realizing all that it can do for us is really exciting. So like the ninja story that Ruby was telling you, um, one year our associate director took all of our staff into music and drama um, and he got them um, to dress up for an adventure. So he didn't tell them what kind of an adventure. He just said, get ready, we're going on an adventure. So people got into all kinds of costumes and he took them out into the woods to play. And they were there for two hours and they built forts with sticks. Um, they pretended to be different characters out of books like Peter Pan. Um, they got nice and dirty. And um, I think uh, I didn't go with them. Sadly, I was prepping something else. But when they came back for the meal, I couldn't get over how happy they were, the excitement that they showed. Like they were just in a whole different realm. Um, and it was 10 years ago and staff still talk about this as one of their very favorite staff training memories. In fact, I was at a camp wedding this past weekend and somebody brought up that exact moment. Our kids have just lost the ability to go outside and play and make stuff up. And these kids have grown up to be the staff that we now serve. So we need to give them those opportunities to play. And I think at some point, not every time, but um, at some point there is, uh, it can be followed up by a really great debrief on what did it feel like? What was good about playing? What do you um, think, why do you think we let you experience this? How can we help kids um, at summer camp play for the sake of play? So I think there's lots of um, great benefits for doing those types of activities. Ruby, have you got anything else to share with us today? I do, and I just want to have a couple follow-up comments that, um, yes to farming. Oh my gosh, people mm -hmm. love farming. People love it. So mm -hmm. if you have access to a farm or a garden or, you know, even if it's a neighborhood place, it's not necessarily your own, 100% worth it. And mm -hmm. very rarely have I seen staff members turn their nose up to it. And right. I think some of that is the culture that we have right now when you're talking about climate change and, you know, all that sort of stuff that's going on and this movement to really understand where your food comes from. People get into it. So, and yes. you don't have to, can I just say, you don't have to have like a camp with a property for farming. Right. Uh, our camp is um, basically situated on the Canadian shield. So yeah. you cannot dig and yeah. plant things in the earth. Um, but we made um, gardens built up and also out of old canoes. Um, yeah. We've nice. done vegetable gardens, herb gardens, all that planted in old canoes around the site. So you don't have to be somewhere where there's lots of farmland to be able to do it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and I just want to also echo what Gab said. I had never thought about kind of the people coming to your facility who aren't familiar with it. Uh, but I personally, as an environmental educator, when I go to a place that I don't know the ecosystem, I am uncomfortable until I start to understand some of what's around me. And that is is like very real when I go to the coast or if I go out west. It's like ah, I don't. This is unfamiliar. <laughs> so I can only yeah. imagine. And you know, having traveled to another continent, it was really weird. It was really weird not knowing what the plants were or what can hurt me or what can't. So 
um, I think that's another reason to prioritize this, whether you have international staff or not. Yeah. Um, there's going to be people who are new to your, your place. And even in, in Canada, I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Beth, but um, the squirrels in Montreal, in Montreal are gray. The squirrels in Toronto are black. And then, I, and then our country squirrels are brown and half the size. Um, they're just so tiny, but I think just even within your own country, um, the, the wildlife that you're used to can shift, you know, it's a, it's a big shift to, to have, um, the creatures that you're used to or don't look the same. And, uh, that's, you know, the, just education behind it, um, is really, really helpful. Absolutely. We had a, a staff member once from Nova Scotia, which is on the Eastern part of Canada, um, come to our camp for a couple of summers and um, she was absolutely terrified the first time she saw an Ontario squirrel she just couldn't she's like mm-hmm. what is that monster <laughs> and could not figure it out because it's enormous it literally you know yeah. uh, like five or six times bigger yeah. than the squirrels on the east coast so yeah. and a different color so she was just couldn't figure it out so yes it's true absolutely <laughs> I went to a university that had a uh, we had a Facebook group called Butler Squirrels Are Actually Cats because they were so big. They were so big. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, another big tip that I have is um, we've talked a lot about taking people outside, and I think there's lots of good, healthy ways to bring nature inside as well. Um, and that can be a nice way to bridge the gap where if somebody's not super comfortable stepping out into all the unknowns and everything that's new and different and super overstimulating. Um, can you bring some leaves inside and have them do some tree ID before they go outside? Uh, do you have an expert come in and bring animals and do a wildlife show and talk a little bit about the native wildlife? Uh, I worked at a nature preserve and um, part of our culture was if we saw a venomous snake that was part of earning a big award and, uh, and like a big ice cream party and fireworks and all kinds of shenanigans. And so venomous snakes were a prized possession and a lot of camps, because of health and safety and it's your policy, they'd kill them. We would capture them. And often it would be our executive director standing uh, downstairs with this like huge rattlesnake or copperhead in a, a box, essentially with a clear side. And he'd be like, yeah, everybody come down and check out the rattlesnake before you go to your afternoon activities, right? And it was a safe way for kids to get pretty close to these animals and look at them and see like rattlesnakes here are beautiful. Like they are the most beautiful thing. And when you're not worried about it striking you, you can actually take this opportunity to really enjoy it. Um, Also look into curriculum like Project Wild, Project Wet, Project Learning Tree. These are um, all systems that have been developed and and curriculum that's been developed for classrooms. And so it's, I think in general, pretty easy to adapt to camp. And again, if you're in an urban setting or a non-traditional camp setting, Um, That can be a nice way to introduce some of these concepts so that when the kids do go outside, whether that's with you or in another setting, that they've already had some introduction and uh, knowledge related to these concepts. And uh, a lot of times you can get your hands on on that sort of curriculum or do those uh, workshops for like pretty cheap. Um, And then the last little piece uh, that I wanted to throw in, because Beth, you talked about kind of walking and, and sitting down and walking and sitting down. Um, another version of that that I, I really love is the solo walk. That's how I learned it, where um, you have everybody walking in a line, but instead of walking right one right after the other, you create 10, 20, 30 feet of space in between each other. And so you're able to uh, control a little bit more versus like, hey, just go take a walk in the woods and good luck and see ya. But you have a path that you're supposed to take. 
but it also gives people a little bit more of that feeling of solitude and opportunity to observe and to stop talking to their friend and listen and feel and learn. And um, I, I've always found that also to be a really well-received activity. Um, I think in general, we live really noisy lives. And so when we can create opportunities for people to be quiet and listen to their surrounding and tune in a little bit more, folks in general really, really, really love it. And I'll be like, all right, our two minutes is up. And my students or participants will be like, uh, can we do this for another two? I'm like, yes, yes, we can. That sounds great. Nice. I love it. Gab, what else have you got? Um, I, my good friend, Shauna Joyce, um, they have a wonderful, who runs a Camping Molson in Quebec, has a wonderful farm program and great staff that are constantly developing amazing. it. It's an amazing program. Beth, you went to the camp and it's- I did, yes, incredible. And they do, and it's, what's really cool is that it's expanded a little bit their program in the sense that as you, as you, we talked about Canadian Thanksgiving just before we started recording and um, Canadian Thanksgiving is really about um, harvest. It's our harvest season. And um, because you, well, they have a great garden, but you're not, you can't harvest that much during the summer necessarily. So they've expanded their harvest their harvest to a, a, a family uh, camp day where um, they have a couple of buses from Montreal that pick up the, their campers, but also their parents and siblings and they come to camp and they harvest um, the garden all together. And their uh, farm team also sells the produce at um, different um, Quebec markets and it brings education to, to other people about what camps are doing, et cetera, et cetera one of the projects that they did this year was uh, a week-long project where campers got to decide what kind of project they wanted to do. So they would be in teams of three or four, or they would choose what they would like to do at the farm. And um, they had, uh, I think a little over a week to accomplish those things. And just the education that they learned from choosing their own project and, um, and developing it uh, really got, <laughs> kept the, the staff um, on their toes because the, the kids were ambitious. Um, but I think just, just even new staff members that were at Amy Molson, their education and how they had to prepare themselves for these projects were, was, uh, absolutely phenomenal. And I think that, um, that goes just to my point of, of asking your staff before they come to staff training, what, what would you like when it comes to, to nature? What would we, what would you like in, in forms of education time um, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of camps it, at the beginning of camp, it's a high bug season. Um, and I know that I always want to bring my staff outside and I would love to have quiet walks. And I'd love to, but I, the bugs will just, it's, they're too intense. It would, it, it's, it's just uh, very difficult. So um, to get into that habit. And I think that uh, because you don't necessarily get into that habit right from the very beginning, it's hard to start, you know, as campers are arriving. So maybe having that conversation that these are some of the things we want to do um, uh, throughout the summer and, and we can play into mindfulness and journaling that Beth was talking about. So, but talking to your staff before and seeing what we can do uh, during staff training, what would they like um, and then get and taking your cues from them. Love it. And just to do a little bit of education here at Camp Code, uh, Canadian Thanksgiving is not at the same time as American Thanksgiving um, and actually happens uh, on the 14th of October this year. So um, ours is coming up uh, quickly. And I have had many American friends who were always surprised to find that out, um, that we do it at a different, a little bit different time of year, about six weeks apart from our American friends. So, oh, Gab, well, did you want to say something? Oh, I was just, well, <laughs> I think for Canadians, I mean, 
I feel for Americans and Thanksgiving so close to Christmas. I don't even know how. <laughs> this year it's is especially close. Is it? It's yeah. amazing. Just, just a lot of energy that goes into, into American Thanksgiving. I think in Canada, well, especially in Quebec, Canada, it's a little bit more relaxed. So it's just a very nice time to get together with loved ones. And, mm-hmm. But the state seems very, it's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure, it seems, from this side of the border. And yes, yes, I would also agree that Canadian Thanksgiving is just about hanging out and eating and nothing more. (laughs) No parades, no nothing. It's just pretty pretty chill. (laughs) Um, When you've got your folks Mm -hmm. more comfortable with the outdoors, uh, because you're going to do some things every day to kind of make sure that they are, it's a great opportunity once they're there to dive into some really great discussions and ways in which you together can become more skilled in helping campers deal with being a part of the indoor generation. So a couple of ideas for that for me would be to go through your camps week with your leadership team members or whomever sort of is, um, you know, your most senior staff members have been around for a while and ask them to figure out all the tasks that are needed of your staff during a week at camp. So for example, they might be expected to light a fire for a cookout or use a, a compass on a hike or they should know how and where to take cover during a thunderstorm if they're out, or um, as Ruby's already talked about, what snakes or spiders may be present at your camp that you want them to avoid or how to deal with them. Um, And I would then get each of these tasks and put them on like each one on a large sheet of flip chart paper, and then put them around the room, bring your staff in and ask them what they haven't had a chance to learn yet. So uh, maybe you could ask them to sign their names, go around the room and sign their names, or you could give them stickers to put on the sheets um, that they want to learn more about. So maybe it's a bit more anonymous, a little less stressful, whatever you think will work for your staff. And then you've got a really good idea of what you need to teach and to ensure um, that they understand the importance of being honest and that it's totally fine if they don't yet know how to do something because that's what leadership training is for. Um, Or maybe you just want to ensure that your staff do things in a certain way, like light a fire. Um, I have had the opportunity in my job to travel to a whole bunch of camps, and we all know that each camp has a very specific way that they like certain things done. So you can put them into small groups, uh, rotate them through a number of different exercises, like how to start a fire or how to be comfortable with bugs or um, explaining the importance of sunscreen and how uh, often to apply it and how to apply it properly, uh, not only on themselves, but with their kids, those kinds of things, um, and really get them involved um, and get their input. The other thing that I would do, and I think I talked about it in the last podcast, but I would create a short video before they come to camp um, explaining what they need to bring to camp to best experience the great outdoors. So if they didn't grow up that way, it may not occur to them to have things like proper footwear or a hat or sunscreen or bug spray or a raincoat. Um, They may not understand what gear they actually need so that they can go and really enjoy their time outside. Um, The other thing I would do is talk to your staff and um, to do a short training uh, session during training. And what I would do is talk to them specifically about nature deficit disorder in kids and ask them what they as a group of staff can do about that. So maybe in small groups, have them come up with the answers to how being the indoor generation has hurt kids. You're not specifically talking about them, you're talking about their campers. 
and then you can get together and debrief in a large group. So now they're thinking about all this in terms of their why of camp, their purpose in being with kids for the summer, and then maybe send them back into their groups to come up with solutions as to how camp can help kids find the joy in being outside because you've been doing this all along during training with your staff, so they already get it. They already know the joy in being out in nature. I would start the session inside, and then of course I would move it outside when they start to think about the solutions of how we can get kids to be more comfortable in nature and more excited about it and share them together. And there are certain things that I think are important for us to hit on when we're having these kinds of conversations. You know, things like the fact that re research tells us that kids should spend at least three hours every day outside and ask them how many kids do they know that do that. Um, sadly, it's certainly not enough. Um, we want to tell them things like spending time in forests, hiking in the mountains, or just being outside has significant health benefits. It, it you know, helps your blood pressure. It boosts mental health. It decreases cancer risks. Staying indoors, of course, comes with a multitude of side effects, like a higher risk of depression and related mood disorders, lack of natural sunlight, minimal movement, um, can all increase, and that dependency on tech, of course, can all increase anxiety over time. So staff need to know um, those kinds of things, as well as, you know, the fact that, for example, sunlight increases our levels of serotonin, and um, that staying inside can, you know, lead to those feelings of being stir-crazy, but it can also make people feel more irritable or anxious. They need to know things like, oh, we're having trouble falling asleep at night or waking up in the morning. Well, exposure to light is important for the body's internal clock. And um, if we're having those kinds of troubles, we need more sunlight. And we need to discuss with them things like, if you're indoors too much, you might become vitamin D deficient. And that that is um, a key nutrient in helping to build a strong immune system. So it increases your chances of getting sick and fighting off that sickness. And especially if you're at summer camp, you know, we've watched colds and all those kinds of things pass like wildfire. Um, they also need to know that spending time outside in green, natural environments boosts physical and mental energy, what they're saying, by nearly 40%. And who doesn't need more energy when we're spending our summer playing with kids? So our staff is that group of people who are ready and willing to become involved in saving our planet, as Ruby mentioned, and doing something about climate change, which is, of course, in the news um, quite dramatically these days, thankfully. And so why not unleash their inner activists and empower them to do something about this at camp? D together decide changes um, in the ways that camp does things to become better citizens of our planet. Use social media to share these messages that you all come up with with your campers and your families and get them to harness that energy to make a difference. It's funny that um, in this day and age, we don't often fully comprehend the sheer amount of time that we spend inside. You know, for me, sometimes it hasn't registered that it's been 46 hours since I stepped outside be because my I'm eyeballs deep in a weekend binge watching session on Netflix or something, or I am swamped with a lot of deadlines. And of course, our young staff um, will have essays and, and exams and all those kinds of things that may keep them indoors for significant periods of time. So getting kids and teens and really truthfully, all of us unglued from screens and playing outside, it's not always easy, but the benefits um, are well worth the effort, as we camp people know. So I think it's important that we just help our staff understand why we are trying to get them to enjoy being outside. And when they get the why, as we know, they usually jump on board. 
And then we need to help them cultivate that desire to go forest bathing on a regular basis and be comfortable with all of the great that the great outdoors has to offer. Um, because the chances of all of our staff growing up this way are getting slimmer every year. So Ruby, do you have anything else you want to share with us before we do Gab's amazing recap? Yeah, one last thing I want to share is um, even though we were talking about unplugging and going outside, I also think that technology can be a nice vehicle and a nice connection for getting people excited about Ooh. what's going on outside. Um, so consider, um, do you... Um, do you get the star watch app where like if you're an overnight camp do you have people go out and pull out their phones and learn some of the constellations if you have a nice view of the sky if you're a day camp and you have you know a wilderness setting have you considered inviting your day camp staff out to see camp at nighttime and experience that because that's something pretty special um, look into citizen science projects uh, there's some really cool ways that folks can go out and track some of the wildlife that's around that gives real data to real scientists and help them understand what's going on on the earth. Um, so that gives you this whole like, you know, microcosm of what's going on right here to the global community, which is very cool. Check out the app iNaturalist. Um, basically with that app, you can take a picture of whatever you find and um, other people will identify it, which is cool. And again, that is kind of goes into some of that citizen science network as well and helps people understand migrations of certain creatures or where populations are booming or not. Um, there are some cool apps out there. One of my favorite ones is are the ones and there's some ethical considerations here, but uh, in moderation, I think it's fine. Um, there are apps that teach you birds and they'll have bird calls. And so if you spot a bird and you can find the bird call, sometimes you can get the bird to chatter back and forth with your phone. And so again, it's not even necessary that we're gonna have our staff using those with the kids, but to pique that interest, sometimes it takes that technology connection to get them excited and interested about learning more. Love it, love it. And I think my last piece of advice would be if you're one of those camps who um, traditionally over the years has done solo time in terms of two, three, four, 24 hours of your staff all alone um, to do lots of, you know, introspective things and sort of quiet themselves and, and figure stuff out. You might not want to be jumping to the 24 hours of solo time without having done a lot of this kind of prep work that we've been talking about. Um, it just might freak them out altogether. And um, as Gab was talking about having the knowledge first and then having the time to play and then do, um, just to make sure that you have the right sequence of those kinds of events, if that's something that you still do in your training. So we have now come to the everyone's favorite time in the podcast, Gab's famous recap. Recap, recap, recap. This, there's a lot of stuff. Um, and I think I might even take a, a picture of it because it's, I'll show it on, if you're watching on YouTube, but this is what's going on um, today uh, with our recap. A lot of really, really good stuff. So um, uh, I'm just going to start with the play and do because there's a really, some really, really fun things in there. And we're going to go do a hodgepodge of all of it. So uh, why not do artwork, hike, night hike, a go off trail, learn what you can touch and what you can't touch, uh, scavenger hunt, um, teeny tiny ninja training uh, ground is what I'm calling it now. Um, I love that. I also like the mm -hmm. words uh, forest bathing. That was from Beth. Uh, nature bingo game, take photos, uh, start a garden, check out what Amy Molson is doing, uh, do a play, solo walk. Um, and even use um, technology apps, bring nature indoors, leave, uh, 
leave leaves on the inside and um, respectfully trap venomous snakes um, <laughs> and and use them as as a as a as a beautiful example and, and flip that narrative of danger to to beautiful on the side of knowledge. I think this is the biggest piece uh, when it's coming to staff training. The why. Uh, play that just the last bit of this podcast of all of the information that Beth said, that whole piece <laughs> of statistics. Um, but look online, what is all of the benefits of nature and, and bring that to your staff because there's some powerful, powerful stuff such as mindfulness, the environment, climate change, and unleashing their um, inner um, activists. Uh, and, and we can't get enough of nature camp whether it's uh, whether you're downtown um, in a city or uh, or you're at a sleepaway camp, you will be outdoors. There's opportunity for exploration. There's opportunity for creativity, and uh, this is definitely something that's going to be impacting my camp in a positive way. This podcast, a lot of great stuff um, about nature here. Thanks, Gab. Yeah. Brilliant well capture done. as always. Um, and, and we're at the point in our uh, podcast where we tell you that how you can get involved. You can join us on Twitter using the hashtag camp code and let us know the kinds of topics you would like us to discuss, any guests that you recommend we talk to, uh, what your great leadership training tips are that you would like to share with the rest of the camp community. We would love to hear from you because of course we are all about sharing in this industry. And if you found the podcast to be useful, we would love it if you could leave us a rating and a review for us in iTunes. And you can do that by going to camphacker.tv slash cc underscore iTunes, or you can tweet the love of the show by going to camphacker.tv slash campcodelove. And your feedback is what helps us keep the show going. So this is how you can contact each one of us if you would like to. Ruby. You can email me, ruby at rubyoutdoors.com. I'm on Instagram as well, rubyoutdoors, uh, as well as I'm one of the folks behind the at women in camping uh, Instagram. So check that out. And then you can find me on Facebook, Stephanie Ruby Compton. Perfect. Thank you. And Gab. You can contact me at Gabs at Waro. Uh, you can check out where I work at waro.com, O-U-A-R-E-A-U. -E and you can follow me on Instagram at Gabrielle Rail. Rail takes two L's. <laughs> Lots of vowels in Waro. You just have to get them in the right <laughs> spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you can check me out at gocamp.pro, uh, email me directly at beth at gocamp.pro, or uh, I'm on Twitter uh, with the hashtag topazfay, F-A-E. And Ruby's going to tell us what we're doing for our next podcast. Our next podcast is going to be about building trust between your staff and with your staff. <laughs> and we promise it's just one podcast, even though it sounds like it should be <laughs> a year's about worth of information. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, our final segment on each podcast is a best practice for leadership training. And of course, we would love to hear some of your memorable moments or most effective tips. And again, you can share those with us um, on Twitter with the hashtag camp code. But today we're going to hear from Gab with her best practice. My best practice comes from my good friend and past colleague, uh, Claude Zicamira. Um, and it, uh, her, the, the way I'd like to frame it is uh, treat your life like you have one. Um, so, um, so basically I think this has to do with when, when we're looking at our staff, yes, for, uh, for our, our summer, but also for us as camp directors and our full-time staff throughout the year, um, camp is a, can be all consuming, um, especially when you're working maybe one or two or three people throughout the year, if you're 
a small team. And what can happen, especially if you're younger in, in the, in the industry is that that camp can take over your life completely. And during the summer, I've seen young directors, um, forego days off, uh, forego, um, uh, you know, a a break uh, during the day. Um, they don't uh, maybe eat at regular hours and there's certain things that we can't, we can't, um, change if there's an emergency we might have to delay our meal time or we do end up going to bed late or getting up early but creating boundaries and creating um a system where where you're treating yourself and you're helping your staff treat themselves as if they have a life outside of camp is is going to be very very important in the long run especially i i'm would talk to a lot of young camp directors or young camp professionals and i would hear them say i don't i don't know how i would do this job when i have a family and um, it shouldn't take a family to create that space for you, for you. And if you do want to have a family, it's important to start practicing to have that space um, before, before that happens. But regardless of so, um, respecting um, your life within the camp industry is very important. And a lot of times our identity gets wrapped up in our job, especially as, as camp professionals, and making sure that you're treating your life like you have one allows you to make smarter decisions about what career you're in, what organization you're with. And, um, and I think it also just makes you a healthier, happier person with a clear perspective when you're making tough decisions with, for your organization and the people that are working for you. So treat your life like you have one uh, from Claude's Camera. Um, and that came out of a conversation when we were doing what we used to do, um, uh, camp fairs, and we were doing back-to-back camp fairs over weekends and we would do those camp fairs on the weekends and then come in for work on Mondays. And we basically were doing three weeks nonstop without a day off. And, um, and uh, that was just out of a conversation while we were driving from one camp fair to another saying we should really treat our lives like we have a life. Um, so there we go. From Claude's Camera. And I'm certain that you're the only camp that has ever done that, worked three straight weeks in a row without a day off. Right. No one else does that anywhere. <laughs> no, nobody yes. else ever does that. <laughs> so I guess, yes, it's a best practice for myself, and I'm trying really hard to keep up with it. <laughs> if, it if it helps anybody else, I, I hope it does. But, um, but no, uh, we, you know, we, and I think, uh, you know, Beth and, and Ruby and I, we, we do get to talk to a lot of camp directors at conferences, and we do get messages from people that listen to the podcast. and you know, camp uh, people are very kind, very giving, really hardworking individuals. Um, and it's so easy to get lost um, within that career because we are really serving other people. And, um, and it's hard. It's hard to take that break. And my, you know, I was talking about Amy Molson. I heard about this program from my friend Shauna because we took three days off this week, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, we talked about camp, but we talked about other things. But there's you know, we, our original plan was over a weekend and a couple of extra days. The camp took up that space, but we really fought to take these three days no matter what. So yes, we had to be flexible, but it's, it's an important part of being able to, to stay in this industry in the, in the, long, in the long term as well as a, as a marathon and not as a sprint. Um, yes. Yeah, so just another great life skill to teach staff while they are at camp. Um, exactly. Even if they don't stay in the industry for life it's still something important that they need to learn. So that wraps things up for today. Please send your training tips our way. You can shoot us an email or reach out to us on Twitter. And thanks for the listening, friends. Please remember, 
No other industry shares its best practices the way summer camps do. If you use an idea heard on a Camp Hacker podcast, please be professional and give credit where credit is due. The Camp Code is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for the listening, friends. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus.